0: Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. Welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you so much for joining me today today. I can't thank you enough every time that you enjoy and join the intentional encourager podcast thank you so much today's guest i i was fortunate enough to beg and grovel for today's guest because he is an internet sensation he is the leader of the sales rebellion and you can find him on linkedin you can find him on twitter and we'll get into all the different ways you can find him but right now, you can find him on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And that is my buddy, Dale Dupree, joining me this morning on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Dale, what's good this morning, brother?
1: Man, I think you said it was 50 where you are. It's like 80 degrees here. Low humidity this morning. It'll probably be pretty high in a couple of weeks here. But,
0: well, but yeah, I think I, it, I'm thinking
1: about getting in the pool, bro. That's what's good this morning. I'm thinking about getting in the pool.
0: Well, I've got a pool out back of my house. We just call it a creek. And we need, you know, we need about five inches of rain to get it up to the to the right levels that we needed at. So
1: yeah, yeah. So you yours yours has naturally has fish in it, and mine has dead ones from the alligator that drug them into it down at the lake.
0: Oh baby, oh that's high living right there, man. Are you sure you're not closet <laughs> redneck or hillbilly? It's,
1: it's interesting, you could live in you could live in almost any neighborhood in Florida and see an alligator in your backyard in the pool, even if you had a, a, a wall 10 feet tall. Like well, dude, I,
0: I go outside some mornings and I see deer in my backyard. So, I mean, I mean you know. The, now, the, that's
1: what's up. I like that. That's
0: yeah. Pe- oh, no doubt.
1: Alligator with its big old teeth showing. <laughs> <laughs> man, I've always
0: I've, – you ever watched that show, Swamp People? I have, I have wondered, like, what level of intelligence – or just brazen no fear to be able to get in, in, a, in a 10 boat, a, a 12 foot long boat and just go, I think we're going to go gator hunt today.
1: Yeah, I've watched one episode and it told me everything I needed to know.
0: <laughs> well, the, you know why it connects with West Virginia is because it's got shotgun and, and we can understand the language and it's not real technical. And then they're, you know, their guys are hopping out of the boat. Most of the time they're barefoot. It's like, well, that's half of West Virginia right there. So,
1: truth. Yeah. At least we wear sandals in Florida. Gosh darn it.
0: <laughs> no doubt. Hey, I got to ask you this, man. If, and you and I have had off, off, just, just regular phone conversations, just checking in with each other, man. It's been so good to get to know you over the last year if I told you a year ago, this is where you and your company are going to be a year from now. Would you believe me?
1: I probably I would have been excited that you were telling me that. And I would have been, I would have been like, yeah, that's a great message. But I would have, when we were not around people anymore, you know, and I could whisper in your ear and have been like, Hey, you're crazy, dude.
0: Psst, you're crazy.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, because the
0: the things that you have had happen for those that don't know Dale and, and his company, his company is the Sales Rebellion. It's 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 not your typical sales training company. You know, you have the Dale Carnegies and the Sandlers and those those people out there, and they they all serve their purpose. But Dale, you're doing something really different and unique. And and so tell the listeners a little bit about what you do and even more so why you do it.
1: Yeah. So I I started a sales rebellion, uh, hence the name, the sales rebellion. And I I started it back in 2019, but the story starts in 1984 when my father founded his copier firm. I was born a year later in 1985 with toner running through my veins and, (laughs) and a destiny set forth for myself by the actions and intentions of my dad, which was to, to raise me in a small business, with a mindset of community first, with the mindset of leadership being something other than you know holding a whip in the back or dragging people with a rope in the front, right? But, but the idea of being able to link arms side by side with your fellow man, you know, regardless of gender, race, religion, and to come together and to create something astonishing, something that was, that was looked on as excellent. My mm-hmm. dad believed in business as excellence more than anything. He also created this concept in me that is that business is personal as well too. And so inside of the relationships that that I've built over the years, inside of the things that I learned from my dad and all of the the mentors that he put around me as well too, I've been able to essentially develop my own sales system over time because of it. So when I was still the copier warrior, working for my dad, selling copy machines, uh, it was something that was, it was still kind of foreign at the time. And I, was, I wasn't I was sure that any of this stuff was gonna work. I wasn't sure that, that any of it had, that there were no promises right at the end of the day. So I didn't, I, I was taking a massive risk and putting my reputation on the line and and standing outside of the box, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, because of those things, those facts and those statements I just made, I knew how important it was for me to make sure that what I did was the absolute most excellence possible, to coin my dad's phrase. And so in the process of doing things like pattern interrupt marketing or developing my reason theory, which is to radically educate and share one's narrative. I started by saying to myself, how would someone else like this to be done to them if I were that person?
0: Yeah. Right. Good point.
1: And, and so I would put myself empathetically in the shoes of those that were buying and that we're having to deal with people cold calling them every day. Imagine copy, copy people you know, in my area, there were 17 or 18 total companies, more, more reps than you can count at some of them. You don't imagine that you got a guy on the phone, a guy at the door, a guy in your email. I mean, just like, it's just relentlessly pounding on you trying to get you to buy something that you buy once every four to five years in -hmm. the first place. So, so the differentiation factor was really the rebellion that that I started, that I didn't care about the number as much as I cared about the community, I didn't care about yeah. the product as much as I cared about the people. I didn't care about negotiating and arguing with folks as much as I did fellowship. And so I yeah. took those mindsets and I, I rolled them all into a big fat ball. I got out of, after 14 years, the copier industry and started a sales rebellion. And here what we are.
0: Do you, what do you think your dad would, would say or do with his company during this pandemic? Because these are unusual times that we find ourselves in. And I often wonder, you know, I you and I have talked about our dads and the influences of our dads. And I wonder sometimes, okay, what how would my dad have sold through a pandemic where you couldn't get out and touch customers face to face? You couldn't have that that highly interpersonal relationship that you and I find incredibly value. How do you think your dad would have would have navigated through these waters?
1: My dad believed in the mindset of proactive sales. And so my dad would have never been even questioning what he was going to do at this point, because proactively he would have built something that could not be taken from him. And so a pandemic would have no hold on him, no matter if it was two months, three months, or six years, it it would have no hold on him because of the reality of what led up to this pandemic, which was that we've had plenty of time to be able to prepare for it. In the first place so proactive approaches to our business personal and sales walk is extremely important in general and then I also did I'll tell you my we kind of went through this and in, in Florida the swine flu in 2009-2010 was pretty ridiculous I mean, we had a high <laughs> contraction rate we had a high death rate uh, my dad used to joke with my sister because she started coughing one day and he would walk in the room and you know put his finger on his nose like a like a pig and, <laughs> at her and say, Are you sick you know so we always had a he was very lighthearted about the situations themselves appropriately and respectfully, but it was because that he was a man of hope more than he was of instilling fear and doubt in people. He was a man that built communities, not, you know, watched from the outside looking in or created castles that kept people out. So for, for my dad, it would have just been natural that a pandemic was happening and he would have pivoted. And I'll tell you too, that in 2007, when, you know, everybody was closing their doors and we had to go pick machines up, you know just like some people have had to do in this instance as well too my dad would have left those machines right mm-hmm. he would have shook their hands and said I, i'll make you a deal you just remember you know when you can pay me just to, to pay me wow you know and, and we'll make sure to to take good care of you now he didn't he didn't do that to a fault where he Buried his business in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, either. So you know, he let God help him to to decide on who it is that needed this that that more than anybody else, and Mm -hmm. and it was evident in most cases who did need it, especially because the relationships that he had built. But in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, it wasn't getting any better, bro. I mean, I remember that it was like we were trying to dig out. You're knocking on doors, and people have them locked with little signs on them saying, "Don't come in." There's a pandemic. You know, there's Mm -hmm. the swine flu was a was a global pandemic, you know, so we forget a lot of times we forget about things that have happened in the short amount of history that we've been here. I think I read an article that said over the last 10 to 15 or uh, 20 years, something like that. I want to say like 1999, since 1999, there's been a dozen total like global um, Mm -hmm. disasters such as, you know, the financial collapse or, you know, and that, and that pandemics are, are one of the highest rated. In that number as well, too, that this is definitely unprecedented, like anything we've never seen before. But my message to people is to stop trying to control the uncontrollable and to understand that where you're at is where you're at. And, and what people prefer more than anything is folks that are real about what's going on. And so yeah. sending empathetic quote unquote emails that say, I hope your family's well. or my boss wanted me to write you this and tell you that he, <laughs> he really cares yeah. about you. Yeah. It don't break down no mm-hmm. barriers. It doesn't help anybody see anything differently. It puts the stereotype even deeper into the sales world to begin with and it does not build relationships.
0: Well, you, you do, you do want their families to be well, but, but to your point, it's getting past the minutiae, right? It's getting past the, we're going to do what everybody else has done because somebody else told us this works. People are having to figure things out. When when you talk to somebody, Dale, that says, man, I have never been through anything like this before, and I want to try to figure out a different way to do something, how do you normally cut through the uncertainty? And I don't want to say fear because some people are not fearful. They're just very anxious and uncertain. And, and there's a, a real difference between anxiety and uncertainty and full on fear. When you get to that point, I, I believe you don't think rationally. You don't think consciously. You're just like, oh, you know, it's, it's you know, curl up in the fetal position. So what do you tell, what's your message to those people that are feeling anxious and uncertain.
1: This is the thing that I want everybody to hear in the world. And so definitely everybody on your podcast that listens meet people where they are. The agenda, the agenda riddled minutiae, inside of a conversation that most salespeople have with their buyer creates a massive amount of uncertainty on top of what they already feel in the first place regardless of you saying, Oh, I'm so sorry. And Oh, I totally understand. You know what I hate more than anything, Brian, and that I would love to see, and I don't hate a lot of things, but it's a strong word, Mm -hmm. but what I would love to see changed in the world is I would love to see when someone says, when a, when a boss is listening to their employee, you know, gripe about something, when a, a seller is listening to a buyer, you know, tell them how they feel about something. I would love for people to stop saying, I totally understand. Mm-hmm. I would love that because the next words out of their mouth every time is what, but, but yeah, yeah, but, yeah. you know, the, the pivot methodology inside of that is, is to improvise inside of your conversation, instead of having to, to use the, a, a positive affirmation stance to get to your, butt to give your agenda to instead pivot through improvisation by saying yes, and then saying, and and mm-hmm. adding to the the argument. And the well, first- how can you totally
0: understand? You you just said I completely understand, but it's almost like you know I, I'm with you. However, you know, and, and Dale, here's the thing: I, I think we've got a lot of people in today's world that try to to put on an empathy jacket. Like I like it. Like we mentioned, it's a little chilly here this morning. I've got a jacket on. It's almost like, well, I'm going to put this on because I feel like if I put this on, it's going to make me look and perform like a better salesperson or a better marketing person or whatever it is that you do. We try to put some of these things on that aren't natural. It's like, it's like the sketch in Tommy Boy. It's like Chris Farley putting on David Spade's jacket, fat guy in a little coat. It didn't fit. It didn't fit at all. And and so why do you think people are so desperate to try to put things on in their careers that don't fit?
1: You know, I think that the thing is, is that everybody is afraid of, of failure more than anything. So it's, it's not, it's not so much that they even know that it doesn't fit them or that they look at it the same way you just described in the first place. They see it as that it can get them some type of success. They don't see the bigger picture of it because they don't play the long game. They're just looking for instant gratification which is the literal killer of the sales world. And in most businesses, I would say as well, too, just in general, that people not being patient enough and persistent enough to be able to create success in the first place. But Mm -hmm. I would say, I would tell you that it's, it's, it is a, it is a fear itself. It is, that's what, it really shows weakness when somebody is really trying to dress themselves into somebody else's skin in the sales game in general, when they're working on getting a deal, closing a sale, finding a new prospect whatever the, the case may be authenticity shines through you know but again I think that that people are afraid of their authentic self you want to know why Brian because I, I'm a, a man that struggles with depression like my authentic self is somebody that's tried to commit suicide twice in my life mm. my authentic self is somebody that has failed multiple times throughout my career my authentic self is somebody that had to question his morals his his faith that that has been tempted you know by um, by the world in general that, that is, somebody that has failed in my relationship with my wife, that's hopefully not truly failed yet as a father, but feels like a failure every once in a while as a father as well too, you know, as a, as a son, as a brother, that that's who I am. Mm -hmm. And because when you start to look deep into who you are and you see all of these blotches and spots, you start to sit back and say, well, I don't want to be myself. I want to be this better person. Well, that's not truly who you are. You have to in order to get better at at being who you are, you have to first embrace the suck and accept who it is that God made you and what your choices have been up until this far. Those are the most important pieces of your puzzle. They shine through inside of your authenticity when you make the choice to stop caring so much about instant gratification and making something work than to just being yourself and allowing success to follow with it. How
0: much of your dad's influence was, was in you finding your authentic self? Because, and I'll share this with you, is that for years I tried to run from the man I was like, I tried to run from all the things I was like my dad. You know, I would tell people, I would say, well, why do you think I wear contact lenses and grow a beard? Because my dad had glasses and no facial hair. And and from the time I was a teenager, I was being compared to my dad and I wanted so desperately to run from that. But I hear you talk about the the power and the influence that your dad had. And and I, I love that because I feel the same way now that my dad, like your dad's been gone for a lot of years. How important was your dad in helping you find your authentic self?
1: Oh, dad, he was 99.9% of the reason. I can still remember being a kid and going on a walk with my dad or hearing a story from my dad and it's hard sometimes to remember anything because i think inside of trauma you block a lot of everything out unfortunately that's a good point there's really good therapy though i know i know because my sisters have done it to help with going back and revisiting those old memories and reactivating your brain. But, but again, I think there's a thing that our body does to try and stop those things. But I have, I have yearned and longed to continue to remember them every single waking moment of my life. I try everything in my power to, to maintain the relationship that I created with him and that had such a big influence on me in the first place to create the man you see today, even in my father's death, he influenced me. You know, I, I stood on stage in front of a thousand plus people, you know, stacked up against walls, like might as well just been like a scene out of a movie. It was yeah. intense to look at, you know, just to pay respects. And I, I remember thinking to myself, look at what this man has done. You now look at the people that he's brought together, the diversity of this room, the difference of opinion, the the difference of, of religion and race. And I mean, it was... It was magnificent. The ultimate was coming that...
0: together, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it was almost like a glimpse of, of the pearly whites, bro, and what heaven is supposed to be. Yep. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful. And so, so going back to my origins though, too, my dad knew that I was a creative person. He figured that out about me real quickly and he nurtured it. You know, he loved it. He loved to tell me stories because he loved hearing me uh, to teach me so that he could hear me tell stories. Right. And he would, he would, he would never say you're doing things wrong inside of my creativity or, or you're not, or have you thought about this? He would always meet me where I was. And so he nurtured, this man that you see in front of you and influence 99.9% of it.
0: I learned to have conversations like you and I are having from conversations of me and my dad riding in the car when I was 10, 11, 12, and then being a young man, then going to college and then getting married and then having kids of my own. And I learned, and people ask me, they're like, well, how do you, how do you do what you do? And I'm like, well, my dad taught me how to have a conversation with somebody. That's who I learned it from. Because my, my dad and I would listen to the radio and he'd be like, well, we'd listen to a Reds game, a Cincinnati Reds game. He'd be like, what do, you, what do you think of their pitching staff? And it made me think as a young man, like, okay, it's really important to know what you believe and be able to articulate what you believe. But I want to pivot here for a minute, Dale. You talk about in your business, and this is what I love about what you what you do and, and how you are and, and, and everything. You're so intentional, is that you tell people to toss the script and just start having these real conversations. How hard is it for people to learn how to have genuine conversations? deep conversations with customers and people in general that they want to do business with.
1: Yeah, I think that what we've gotten away from in sales and why there's so many issues in sales, why people, why the number one thing that businesses have an issue with and in common is sales, right? Because if you ask the majority of businesses out there, what's your biggest struggle? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They'll tell you it's in the sales department and it's always something, you know, whether it's retention, whether it's new accounts, whether it's, it's existing clients, whether it's salespeople, whether it's process, anything, or their bro.
0: VP is, or their VP. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but or their VP of sales will say, you know what? I committed to a 50% growth number and nobody's hitting it. And so everybody sucks right now because they're not hitting their growth number that I stuck my neck out for and told the, the president of the company we were going to hit. Cause deep down, I got a big honking bonus. That, that's the reason I put the number out there is because so I could get mine. I mean, right. you know, let's let's be real. Those conversations, whether, whether a VP of sales will even have the stones enough to tell you that is one thing. But Dale, it, it seems to me like that what your dad really taught you was deep, powerful, genuine connection. What do you think Curtis Dupree what part could you see your dad having in the sales rebellion,
1: right? Yeah, now? I mean, dude, he is the sales rebellion. Like we, we are an, a literal shadow of the, the the giant tree that he planted, nurtured, and and bit and left for all of us to come and pay respects at. And we even use symbology around things like trees and and different items and images inside of the rebellion, inside of our courses. Whether it's the rebel invasion. The the rebel cause, the reason theory, the roots theory, the living pipeline. We use a lot of symbology that that ties back to the foundation of a legacy, because that's what this is. The sales rebellion is a legacy, and we're here to help others build theirs. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, he would he would, he literally is. It's not even that he would; it's that he literally is the blood that flows through the veins of the rebellion, and and so that's the biggest reason why we talk so much about authenticity, and we talk so much about get rid of the moves. Get rid of the power plays, get rid of the, the semantics, get rid of the politics. Stop trying to pretend like you know how to influence people. Stop trying to pretend like these couple of things, if you say them exactly right, that you'll close the sale. Start treating people like individuals. Individualism is an interesting concept to study as well too. And, and psychology is at the base of the rebellion as well. You know, the, the basics of human communication do not start with a pitch. Mm -hmm. They do not start with a me-centric mindset. You know, hey, I'd like to get 15 minutes off your calendar, right? They don't end with it either. You know, uh, the basics of human conversation are are credibility and trust building statements more than anything else, right? And the idea that somehow, you know, that we say, oh, and with this company, we're the biggest of this, that, and the other in the world, that, that somehow that's a shortcut to creating those things. Is a false narrative it's a false idol that we worship in the sales world in general you know and and we are the other thing is that i i just can't stand and i have to say that i always do is that we worship these leaders inside of this industry these men and women that say follow me and i'll to you know and i'll take your team to the most successful place show me the proof right that somehow that these men were called to this earth. And these women were called to this earth to make you better. You as the individual hold that power, not another man or woman. There is no proof to show that those people somehow are the ones building these kingdoms. They're just building empires. Empires are full of politics. They're full of doubt and hatred Mm -hmm. and anger and self-righteousness. They're not a good place to be, right? We need a kingdom is what we need instead of the Mm -hmm. sales world. And we're looking to build that. Well, and I'll tell
0: you this, and, and I've said this before, and I don't know if I've shared this with you, but it would have been very easily for me to have done a sales podcast because that's what I know and that's what I've done for the last 25 years is customer engagement and sales and things like that. But here's what I didn't see on LinkedIn, and that's where you and I met was on the LinkedIn platform. I didn't see encouragement. My thanks, as always, to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Mead. And the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through His Word. And until next time, remember: everyone, everywhere, at any time, and any place can be an intentional.